Hi, everybody. My name is Grant Fishbook. I'm the lead teaching pastor at Christ the King Bellingham. And I just want to thank you for accessing our latest message online. Thank you so much for joining us today. I want to say that one of the things we value the most at Christ the King is biblical community. And so if you're watching this uh, in our area, we'd love to invite you to come and join us on any weekend at one of our five campuses. If you're watching somewhere around the world or somewhere else in the country, we just want to encourage you to make sure that this is not a substitute for your attendance or your connection at a local church. And we really want you to find a family where you can grow, where you can give and where you can receive as well. So we're continuing our series called Taboo 2. Taboo 2 is really an opportunity for us to have conversations in church about topics we don't normally talk about in church. So in just a few moments, we're going to walk into the worship center. If you've missed any content up to this point, I'd encourage you to go back in the sermon archive and catch up with us. But let's head into the worship center right now as we continue our series, Taboo 2. Well, good morning, everybody. Let's try that again. Good morning, everybody. <laughs> if I haven't met you before, my name is Grant, one of the teaching pastors here at Christ the King. We're glad that you're here. And I have been questioning all day whether or not, uh, I, I don't know why we decided to do this particular series at this particular time, because this has been very uncomfortable all weekend long. And I actually had a lady come and said, Grant, don't you think we should be preaching like really happy stuff? Like when everybody's coming back to church and the students are coming into town and, and I'm thinking along those lines and questioning why we decided to do this. But, but we're going to dive in here today as deep as we can. I hope you'll just stick with me all the way through as we deal with a, a difficult topic. When I saw the divorce word show up on the request to actually walk through a, a biblical perspective on it, I thought to myself, what in the world are we going to say about that? Because I know this hits some of you in a really, really tender spot, and I hope you'll just stick with me. My heart is in a number of places today. My, my heart is in Seattle this morning because my baby girl got married a couple of weeks ago, and this is really their first normal weekend in their new place down in Bellevue. Let me show you a picture of my daughter from a couple of weeks ago. I'm just like, wow, she took my breath away. It was incredible. And this is a picture of my son-in-law. He's smiling all the time, and, uh, and that's Pastor Derek's forehead back there, so he got in the picture too. <laughs> You know, when your kids get married, what you, what you hope as a parent is that they'll get to experience their happily ever after. That's what you want. And I'm not naive when I say that out loud because I think every parent wants their kids to experience that. But what we're going to talk about today is when the happily ever after doesn't happen or it shows up in a tough spot. We're going to talk about disappointment and hurt and pain and heartbreak. And, and, and I'll be honest with you, my, my heart is in Seattle with, with my kids, but my heart's somewhere else today. My heart's with a, a child from our church who wrote me a letter that said, Dear Pastor Grant, I prayed that Jesus would bring my mommy and daddy back together again, and he didn't. Can you tell me why? My heart's with a young man from our church this week who went home and found a sticky note on the door that said, It's over. My heart is with 
uh, a wife from our church who found out that her husband has been unfaithful again. My heart is with a young couple from our church who, if you took a snapshot from the outside, you'd say they have the perfect relationship, but the truth is they haven't spoken in months. Intimacy is completely off of the table, and they're, they're dangling on th th that difficult spot between I do and I don't today. My heart's all over the map because I know we're going to go to a place, a hard place that's going to bring tears to the eyes of some people in this room, and, and I want you to know I feel it, I felt it all weekend. I'm not going to bore you with statistics. I did it last week. I think one will do. Last year, the divorce rate in the United States climbed to 54%, more than 1.3 million couples, which means 2.6 million husbands and wives, and more than 4 million children experienced the sting of divorce. And I want you to know before we dive in here how we're going to approach this topic because it's really, really important. So when I became a pastor 28 years ago, I was, uh, my first pastor was at Steinbeck in Steinbeck, Manitoba, Emmanuel Evangelical Free Church. And when I showed up there, I came with a series of doctrinal position papers that I had written, and I gave them to the leadership there. And, and one of the papers has a title that to this day still embarrasses me because I wrote it. And I had verses attached. And the title of the paper was, Why Divorced People Should Remain Silent in the Church. And I keep that paper around as a reminder of human stupidity. See, I showed up with my papers and my really convenient theology, and, and they hired me. I still have no idea why. They hired me, and then I met Reed Townsend. Reed Townsend was the most gifted middle school leader that I have ever met anywhere. Reed could do, he was like the Pied Piper. Kids followed him everywhere, and he loved Jesus, and, and, and they loved Jesus because Reed loved them, and it was just this beautiful little connection point all together. And, and one day, Reed said, I need to take you out for lunch. So we went to MJ's restaurant in Steinbeck, Manitoba, and had some good Steinbeck Mennonite food, and, and Reed was there. I always thought that Reed was a widower because he had a son named Benjamin, and, and Reed and I had been working together for several months, and, and while we were sitting there, his story just came pouring out, and he basically said, Grant, when I came to Jesus, my wife just didn't want to do the religion thing. It's, she, she left. And all of a sudden, my really tidy, religious view had a face attached to it and a person attached to it, a person that I actually loved and cared about. I remember how angry I was that day. I went stomping back to the church and I went stomping down that back, that back hallway and Pastor Jim Scobie, this tiny little Sean Connery dude with his Scottish accent was sitting behind the desk, and I walked in the door, and I just said, you knew. You knew my conviction, and you knew my paper, and you knew my stance, and you knew Reed was here. You knew we were going to have this conversation. And Pastor Jim, in his beautiful lilt, said, Grant, you better sit down. <laughs> I'll never forget that lecture. He said, Grant, there's two camps. There's a camp of religion, and there's the camp of grace. The camp of religion is actually easier. People don't check the boxes, they're out. It's simple, it's clean. The camp of grace is messy, and it's painful, and it's unbelievably hard. And you're not leaving my office today until you pick your camp. I chose the camp of grace for one reason because that's what God gave me. When I didn't deserve it, that's what God did in my life. He poured out 
grace. So I need you to know as we talk this today, man, I'm feeling the room. I'm feeling it. My heart hurts for everyone who's dangling on the edge of divorce and trying to figure out whether you do or you don't. And I, my heart is with every person who's gone through the heartbreak. My, my heart is with kids who've watched mom and dad go through this before and you're living in the pain of it right now and it just really, really hurts. And we don't often talk about that kind of pain, but we're going to go there because Jesus goes there. Matthew chapter 19, if you've got that cool little app with the Bible feature or the actual paper copy of the Bible in your hand, I'm going to invite you to turn to Matthew 19. The Bible says this, when Jesus had finished saying these things, just so you know, he just finished preaching a message on forgiveness. It's kind of a big deal. He left Galilee and went into the region of Judea to the other side of the Jordan. That looks like a geographic marker. It's actually really, really important. We're going to come back to it at the end. Large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. My prayer this week has been that, that some of you get a healing from the Holy Spirit today because you've been carrying around the pain of this for a really, really, really long time. Verse 3, some Pharisees, so a group of religious leaders who had chosen the religious camp, just so we know, it says some Pharisees came to test him. Remember that. And they asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? It's a loaded question. Let me give you some context, because what we had at this time in history were dueling rabbis and personal justification. That's what's going on here. Okay, so just so you understand, at this time, Jewish rabbis were, were, were basically divor uh, debating uh, the, the, how divorce worked inside of Jewish culture, and they were debating two Old Testament texts that gave the Jewish framework for divorce. Deuteronomy chapter 24 verse 1 says this, when a man takes a wife and marries her, if then she finds no favor in his eyes because he's found some indecency in her, he can write her a certificate of divorce, put it in her hand, and send her out of his house. Ladies, I apologize with the fact that it seems like in this culture the guy had all the power, but that's exactly the way it was. And I'm really glad that's changed. The word indecency here means sexual immorality. And what's interesting is if you really understand the heart of Deuteronomy chapter 24, it was actually a protection for the lady in this situation. Because if, 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 if you were divorced for any reason in this culture and you didn't have a certificate of divorce in your hand, you had two options as a lady, prostitution and begging. So this was actually a concession that covered and protected a difficult set of circumstances. Now, that, that talks about this particular issue, but what it doesn't talk about is other issues like abuse or abandonment. We're going to get to those in just a little bit. Another text that they were arguing over was Exodus chapter 21, verses 10 and 11, that says this, if he takes another wife to himself, be careful, God is not sanctioning polygamy. We've talked about that before. Anytime polygamy happens in Scripture, it does not go well for anybody, Okay. If he takes another wife to himself, he shall not diminish his wife's food, her clothing, or her conjugal love. If he does not provide her with those three things, she's free to go without the payment of money. So I want you to understand the original wedding vows back in those days. It included three elements, fidelity, provision, and love. Don't those sound beautiful? Fidelity, provision, duh, and love, that's what's supposed to be inside of a marriage. Now, here was the debate. There was a rabbi named Hillel that believed you could divorce your wife for any cause. She burned your bagel, she's gone. She made you watch When Harry Met Sally, she's out. Okay? You could divorce her. There was a rabbi named Shammai who argued and said, Hillel, that's 
That's crazy. That doesn't represent the heart of God. Now, here's an interesting note. Hillel's position of any cause divorce was really, really popular amongst a group of religious leaders called Pharisees. Because they just thought, if I got trouble at home, no problem. You're gone. And before we judge this culture and say, that's just crazy that people could divorce for any and every reason, I want to remind you that this United States of America, in 48 out of 50 states, has something called no-fault divorce. Now you know where we got the idea from. They're not asking Jesus, is divorce okay? They're asking Him, are you okay when we want to take the easy way out? They want to know what side Jesus is on. Well, here's what I love. Jesus quotes God, who He is, about this beautiful thing called marriage. In Scripture, I'll make this as clear as I can, we're going to start with the understanding that Jesus says there is what I would call a regrettable permission under circumstances, certain circumstances, When the vow of fidelity and provision and love has been broken and there's no repentance on the side of the person who walked away. Regrettable permission. We're going to talk about that. Okay, sleep in service. I need everybody to take a deep breath and just because some of you look like you're going to pass out. Okay, just (laughs) stick with me. Here comes the conversation. Verse 4, Jesus quotes... God, who He is. Haven't you read, He replied, at the beginning the Creator made the male and female and said, for this reason a woman will leave his fa- a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Okay, so just so we're clear on the order, leave, so actually get out of your mommy and daddy's house, commit, and then consummate. That's the order it's supposed to be in. Let me put it another way. Get out. Like just actually go, and mommy and daddy, let them go. And then commit to an entire lifetime of dying to yourself and serving another human being, and then you can get it on. That's what the Bible says, okay? (laughs) Now, our culture's got a different order, right? They say, consummate with anything that's got a pulse, maybe leave home, especially if you can negotiate a deal with your mommy and daddy to stay in the basement and play video games, and keep your sexual options open at all times. That's the way. Do you see the difference in those two models, right? Verse number six, so they're no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, there it is, what God has joined together, let no one separate. I love how Jesus attacks this issue. He starts with a foundational truth. Marriage is sacred. We need to hear that. Marriage is sacred. It's God created, God sanctioned, and God promoted. And you need to know this. God did not create marriage to make you happy. God created marriage to make you holy. Mm. Now, you can be holy and single because Jesus is your partner where it goes really, really crazy, you want a true test of holiness, try bringing another sinner into your life, live under the same roof and see how that goes for you. That is why marriage takes a miraculous intervention by Jesus every single day. Married people, do you agree? There you go. When I got married to Laurel, I made a vow. Sounded something like this. Do you grant take Laurel to be your lawfully wedded wife and to live together in the secular experiment of marriage? Will you love her when you feel like it, comfort her when it's convenient, honor her when you think she deserves it, and cherish her when she meets all of your expectations? Will you stick around as long as you're rich and not poor, healthy, not sick, good and not bad? Will you forsake all others as long as she fits into size four jeans and lets you watch the Seahawks whenever you want to? (laughs) 
called sarcasm, just in case, okay? <laughs> Actually, you want to know what it sounded like? It sounded more like this. I grant take you, Laurel, to be my wedded wife. In the view of God's holy covenant, for richer, for poorer, sickness and health, as long as we both shall live, I will love you and hold you and be forever faithful. And just in case anybody's wondering, I still do. I still do. Now, I love this, okay? So, marriage is sacred, but there's another foundational reality that Jesus gets. Marriage is hard. I mean, think about it. Jesus made us different, male and female, and He put those differences under one roof. That's the miraculous intervention. Ruth Graham, the wife of Billy Graham, I mean, a, a man of integrity who led thousands upon thousands of people to Christ, was once asked the question, have you ever considered divorce? She replied, divorce, no. Murder, a few times. <laughs> There you go. Think about it. Marriage calls you to die to yourself over and over and over again. That's why none of us should enter into it lightly. That's why the saying, you complete me, that should make you gag. Jesus said that, okay? Or, or Tom Cruise said that, not Jesus, right? No human being can complete you. Don't kid yourself. Marriage is hard, but it's also unbelievably glorious. Here comes the conversation. The Pharisees throw something back. Why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Jesus replied, oh boy, Mary, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. But this was not the way it was from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. So let's just back up, back up, stick with me. Do you notice that there's a little shift in the language there? I want you to note this. Permission and command are not the same thing. I spoke to a lady after last night's service. She goes, I knew what you were going to talk about, Grant. You know what I wanted? I wanted you to come and make this easy for me. I wanted an easy out. I wanted a, a ripcord attached to my relationship. And she goes, and you didn't make it easier for me. You made it harder. You're welcome, I think. Permission and command are not the same thing. Jesus says there's a regrettable permission here. We're going to talk about it. Can we be honest that except for an unbelievably small number of cases that divorce rarely has a positive outcome for people? I mean, if you don't believe that, ask somebody who's had a front row seat in it. They will beg to differ. There's a regrettable permission for divorce, but there's not a commandment to divorce under any situation. Why? Because that's where God's grace shows up. I get asked this question a lot, usually from couples that are dangling be between I do and I don't. And the question is, what are the biblical grounds for divorce? Well, there actually are some, but I, as I say them, I want you to hear my heart in this whole thing. If we approach this discussion with an easy out mentality, like marriage comes with an easy ejection button and I can go out at any time, we, we are so going to end up in the wrong spot. The Bible says that there are certain situations where someone has biblical grounds for divorce. I listed a whole bunch of scripture here. I want you to know this. If you actually make a decision between I do and I don't today based on just one person's opinion, that's just wrong. You need to struggle with Jesus in all of this. But I gave you the, the major passages of Scripture on this. Matthew 19, Deuteronomy 24, Exodus 21, 1 Corinthians 7, Malachi chapter 2, and Colossians 3.13, which is actually a verse about forgiveness, just so we keep that in mind. But the Bible cites three specific areas 
that are grounds for biblical divorce. The first one is adultery, okay? When a marriage covenant is broken because of unfaithfulness, there is a regrettable permission granted. Now, I can't say that without reinforcing one more time. If you come and ask me ever my position on divorce, I'm going to tell you this. I believe God can heal anything. I believe God can put pieces back together again. I think God can take the most ugly situations and actually bring people back again if they're willing to humble themselves before God, do the hard work, and receive help. So I can't talk about regrettable permissions without talking about forgiveness and restoration at exactly the same time. So if your partner commits adultery, you have regrettable permission. But I'm also going to say this, if you can find it in your heart to forgive after your spouse has a long track record of humility and repentance and reestablishing trust, not just through words, but actions, if you can get there, and your Bible says, forgive as the Lord forgave you, that's not easy. I'm not sure there's anything more difficult than to forgive when someone broke your heart that way. It's one of the permissions. Number two is under the situation of abandonment. It's covered in Exodus 21 and 1 Corinthians 7. My church family, I need you to hear me say this. I know you can't make somebody else stay. I know you can't make somebody else love you. Jesus understands it takes two people to make a promise, but only one person to break a covenant. I get that. I understand. But I also know because I've had a front row seat where one person walked out and years later came to their senses and God broke, brought them back together again because God can do that miraculous work in people's lives. Finally, there's the difficult situation of abuse. So I'll be honest with you, grew up in a very conservative, legalistic environment. I grew up being taught that the only, the only cause for divorce was adultery which if you follow the logic means you can neglect your kids, hit the person you promised to love and cherish, but as long as you were faithful, they're stuck. So let me be perfectly clear. To anyone in the room who's experienced this kind of trauma, and that's what it is, the second your spouse raised their hand and enforced their physical will on a dearly loved child of God, you didn't break the covenant, they did you get that? Oh, that's hard. And God, in that moment, who's a protective father, he promises to come and to cover you and shelter you and walk with you through all that pain. You know, I also want to encourage those who are suffering in a relationship today where it may not be a hand, but it's a mouth. It's the weapon of choice. And I want to say this, you need to set hard and right boundaries because nobody, no one deserves to be emotionally or verbally pummeled ever, period, end of sentence. Somebody say amen. amen. So I say all that and I hope you hear this. I am so not trying to make this easy. Jesus didn't make it easy, but he knows that there are times when you've done everything you can do put it back together again. I talked to a close friend who just recently went through the trauma of a divorce. He didn't want to, but he did. 
I asked him to share some wisdom out of his pain. He gave me three beautiful pieces of wisdom with some scripture attached, which I thought is absolutely beautiful. He wrote it this way. He says, before you say I don't, and this is coming from someone who's walked through it, before you say I don't, count the cost. Count the cost. You may have to go in your mind to a place where you're sitting alone at home with a divorce decree in your hand, and you may have to reverse engineer the entire scenario and ask yourself the question, how will this affect my children, my soul, my future, my finances, my extended family? You may have to reverse engineer and go all the way back to that moment when you said, I do. You may have to revisit the reasons that you fell in love the very first time, because here's what I see. There's a myth. People actually think that divorce is going to give them a fresh start. But I've spoken to brothers and sisters who've walked through that, and they will say, here's what you need to understand. It might be a new beginning, but it's not a fresh start because that person's attached to you. And you don't get to just walk away. It doesn't work that way. Let's be honest. A tiny percentage of divorced people would say, a tiny percentage would say, I made the decision and it was actually peaceful, easy, and positive. A very small percentage, but most, in fact, I can tell you about 97% of the people I spoke to in the last week used the words chaotic, difficult, painful, and traumatic. Here's what I know. At some point, you're going to have to count the cost. So can I make a shameless plug for premarital counseling? Before you say I do, you need to go and do that. You need to do some really hard soul-searching work because I'm going to promise you another human being cannot complete you. It's not possible. Only Jesus can complete you, and you got to deal with your issues because your issues are not going to disappear when you get married. They're actually going to be magnified. And here's a statistic you need to know. If a couple goes through premarital counseling, they have a 300% higher chance of making it through year seven, which is often what's known as the year of divorce. So I'm asking you the question. If you knew you could increase your, your chances by 300%, why would wouldn't you take the class? Why wouldn't you? We're in love. Get over it. <laughs> to the work. It's a shameless plug for premarital. Talk to Pastor Ryan Irvin. He will help you. Okay, number two. My friend said, be real with God and yourself. These were his words. I couldn't own the fact that she decided to leave, but I could own the fact that I never asked Jesus if I should have gotten married to begin with. Oh, there's honesty. He said, the truth is I had a lot of personal work to do that I thought marriage would actually fix. Got to own your part. Don't own what's not your part. Don't do that. But own your own part. Listen to King David do that in Psalm chapter 32. The Bible says this, then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity and I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. You're your transgression today may be the fact that you've been talking smack about your partner in front of your kids. Maybe it's because you're dreaming of revenge and God said, you need to leave vengeance to me because you're actually not very good with that. It could be that, 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 you're, that you're just angry and you refuse. You refuse to even consider grace. The Bible says, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. So here's something to get real about. When a couple gets married, they become one. The original terminology is, is manifested in a modern picture. It's like when two pieces of metal are actually welded together. 
If you try to tear them apart, it does damage to both sides, okay? Divorce is not like Velcro. It doesn't just go, it doesn't work that way. There's a ripping, a tearing, and the pain is there. And finally, my friend said this, oh, for the love of Jesus, do the work. Do the hard work. Before you say, I don't, do the hard work. Because if you come to me as a couple, a married couple, and believe me, they, they sit in my office day after day, week after week, and I will tell them exactly the same thing. Somewhere down the road, you're going to have to pass the mirror test. The mirror test is you're going to wake up one morning, and you're going to stumble into your bathroom, and you're going to have to look yourself in the face, and you're going to have to answer a difficult question. And the question is this, did I do everything I could, everything in my power to save this marriage. And if there's even the slightest hesitation, you're not ready. It means one more trip to the therapist, one more decision to forgive somebody who may not deserve it, one more trip to the marriage retreat. If there's even a hint of work to do, you've got to do it. Because if you don't, and you talk to some of my divorced brothers and sisters, they'll say, you'll live with regret for the rest of your life. Even though you may find healing and you may find grace, you're always going to wonder, what if I had just done that? Okay, 11.15, I need you to breathe one more time. So I'm, I, I'm dealing with this, right? And I'm like, why did we decide to do this series this fall? Like, why couldn't we have done like, you know, seven steps to happiness or... or Five easy ways to save on car insurance. I mean, it just would have been so much easier. Because with every one of these scenarios, I understand this isn't a one-size-fits-all, and you've got your story, and I may not know what your story is today. And, and, and I agonized over, I'm just like, God, I got to, where's the hope here? Jesus always promises hope. So I've been grieving, mourning, searching, and over and over again. And, and then I tell you what, it, just, it was just so awesome because God just showed up and said, you want to see hope? I'll show it to you, but it's not where you think it is in the verses. So we're going to go back to the beginning, Matthew chapter 19. The verse first said this, when Jesus had finished saying these things, so don't forget, he just gave people a message on forgiveness. You're going to have to forgive. It's the only way you're going to be set free. It says, when he finished saying these things, he left Galilee and went in the region of Judea to the other side of the Jordan. And large crowds followed him and he healed them there. So you look at it and go, that's just geographical markers. No, it's not. No, it's not. Why is Jesus leaving the area of Nazareth and the Sea of Galilee? Why is he leaving his home? I'll tell you why. It's because he's going to Jerusalem. And you know what's going to happen in Jerusalem? He's going to hang on a cross and die for your sin and for my sin. He's going to take the transgression and sin of the world on his own perfect heart. And he's going to pay a price that we should have been paying. He's actually leaving home. This is what he's doing, my friend. He's going on the first divorce recovery program ever. Genesis chapter 3. It's a love story. God creates his children and says, If you love me as much as I love you, this is going to go so unbelievably beautiful. In fact, it's going to be absolutely perfect. But here's the problem humankind made a decision 
We made a decision to walk away. We decided that we were going to commit adultery with, with our own evil idols inside of our own hearts. We made a decision that we didn't care whether God wanted something perfect for us or not. We were going to go our own way and do our own thing. We were going to walk away. We were going to abandon him. And then on top of that, we were going to abuse the son who was going to Jerusalem in order to save us and die on a cross. We were going to do all of this. Maybe some of you just needed to hear this today. If you want to know, if you want to know if you've experienced the pain of divorce, Jesus knows exactly how you feel. He gets it. He's lived it. He was going to the cross to reconcile a broken relationship between us and the God who loves us. Don't miss this, okay? Jesus experienced the pain of spiritual divorce, the trauma, the heartbreak, the abandonment, the tearing, and the ripping, and he still found it in his heart to forgive us. That's why we're having this conversation today. Jesus went to the cross to confront spiritual divorce, and I want us to understand this. We've got to get it through our heads. Spiritual divorce happens every time we break our vow and walk away from God. It happens every single time I choose to walk away from Jesus and treat His love with contempt when, when I spit on the vow and break the covenant. All of that together. I mean, is it any wonder, knowing that's the pain, that God says in the book of Malachi, I hate divorce. And for the record, nowhere in Scripture, anywhere, does it say God hates divorced people. It's not in the book. So that means if you've gone through it, you need to hear one thing. God loves you. He loves you, and you're safe here, and we'll do everything we can to walk with you as you put the pieces back together again. Is it true that God says, I hate divorce? Absolutely. Why? Because God hates anything that causes His children pain. Anything. So here we are. You're like, Grant, this is what I needed. I need you to make this easy for me and just give me the decision, right? I'm like, no. You've got to struggle in all of this with Jesus himself. While you remember, marriage is sacred. Marriage is hard. God hates divorce because of the pain it causes his people, but God loves his children. No matter what your relational resume may say. You need to know Jesus can heal anyone anything. I did a wedding for a couple of Christ the King who were divorced 16 plus years ago. 14 years after the divorce was finalized, God brought restoration, reconciliation, and hope back in. And it was an incredible honor and pleasure to stand in front of them and hear their vows and watch their tears and then to be able to say what God has joined together. Let no man separate. It's a miracle. So we don't want to be a part of the problem. We want to be a part of the solution. Ladies, we have something called divorce care for women. It happens on Monday nights. The beautiful thing about divorce care for women is that right alongside of it, we run a program for kids called Compass. 
Compass helps kids that are going through really, really difficult times. And this quarter, they just happen to be studying facing changes right alongside of the class Divorce Care for Women. It's almost like God had a plan. So ladies, we, we actually have childcare built in for you. If you need to walk with somebody who, who's walked through the pain of this. Guys, we, we have a leader. We've got a room. We've got a place. We just need to know whether or not there's guys in the room that would love to walk alongside of that. If you'd like to go through divorce care for men, I'm going to encourage you to go to the connection point. They'll take a little bit of information. They're not going to embarrass you. And we would love to facilitate that for guys too. If you want to do the pre-work, we're offering premarital through Saving Your Marriage Before It Starts Mentors. That starts on October the 10th. We're also doing principles, seven principles for making marriage work. It's the Gottman Retreat on November the 3rd and the 4th. We just have so many opportunities for you to have to do the work. Because here's the bottom line. I don't want you to have to go through this pain. And if you have gone through the pain, I'm glad that you're here. We're going to walk through it together. Boy, I really hope you heard my heart today. So I spoke with a lady from our church this week who's gone through this pain. She said, Grandma, I pray for you because it's tough. It is. She said, I'm going to pray that you can reconcile the tension that we find in the book of Isaiah. I'm like, what are you talking about? She said, Grant, in the early chapters of Isaiah, God actually says this to the nation of Israel because they abandoned him. He says, if, if you want your certificate of divorce that bad, I'll give it to you. I'm like, that's, that's bleak. That's hard. She goes, yeah, but I'm going to pray that you can reconcile that and the fact that in Isaiah chapter 61, the God of love says, actually, I'm going to use all the broken people in the world to put the pieces back together again. I'm going to use the wounded and the busted, the divorced and and those that are in pain. I'm I'm going to use them to put some pieces back together again because they understand a grace that maybe nobody else understands. She goes, I'm going to pray that you're going to be able to reconcile for people that the difficult part of Isaiah, but the beautiful part of Isaiah chapter 61. Let me read it to you. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because He has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort everyone who's mourning to provide for those who grieve in Whatcom County, my translation. To bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. Because the broken will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of His Splendor. And they, the broken, will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Which means this, there's hope after heartbreak. There's glory after you've grappled with the pain. 
you got to do the work, but you also have to understand that God is a God of miracles and He can put the pieces back together again if you open your heart. Now, you can't make somebody else do it with you. God knows that. So Christ the King, hold on to that hope this week. For those of you that have walked through this pain and you're finally finding some healing, share the healing with the rest of us. Because we got people who are here today that are hanging between I do and I don't. And they need your prayer. They need your love. They need your story. They need your grace. And they need truth too. So I don't have any easy answers for you. But I do have a God who loves to put broken pieces back together again. I do have a God that likes to rip the religion out of pastors' hearts so that they can see real people instead of a list of rules. And I don't know how we could close this service in a better way than to simply say, Jesus, help us. So would you stand with me this morning as we close? Father God, for every person who's had a tear roll down their face today, I pray your grace and your presence. God, for those that are being called right now to do really, really difficult work, because Lord, maybe you're calling someone to go back to in order to figure out where restoration and reconciliation could be. Lord, for those who need to be resolved for safety reasons, that they deserve to be treated with respect, God, with all of these difficult situations and scenarios, we come to you. We say, Jesus, would you heal us? Would you put the pieces back together again, God? We're not looking for easy answers. We're looking for your answers. And we want to be like you. So God, for those who need grace, may they experience grace. For those who need truth, may they hear hard truth and be obedient to it. Lord, to those who need understanding and covering, I thank you that you are here and you are available. So God, I pray for those who right now need to make a decision. And Lord, maybe that decision involves obedience and maybe obedience involves baptism. God, I pray for those who may have broken hearts but really need a fresh start. God, I pray that the baptism class may be a spot where they can go public with the fact that we don't choose easy answers, we choose Jesus' answers. So God, would you help us in this hard and difficult work? Thank you for loving us and may a wave of grace wash across our church family right now as we struggle in this in-between place of grace and truth. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to thank you so much for joining us today online. I want to give you an opportunity again to really get connected into community. And so if you're in Whatcom County, we'd love to have you join us at one of our five campuses. If you're not in Whatcom County, we really want to encourage it again to get plugged into a local church. To find out more about Christ the King or to give online or to submit a prayer request, I want to encourage you to go to ctk.church. Once again, thank you for joining us.